What is up, Bitcoiners? It's CK, and I have another great episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast for you. I sat down with the legend, BSG, Christian Lane Gallus, the man behind one of the greatest Bitcoin memes in history, the buy Bitcoin behind Janet Yellen moment and photo. It is absolutely legendary, and Christian is one of the best Bitcoiners out there. I've had the pleasure of being his friend, and this was my first in-person podcast in over a year. I've been doing these pods over Zoom for so long, and it was really, really refreshing to sit down with Christian in person, chat, you know, talk about everything that he's doing to further Bitcoin, further sovereignty, and further self-hosted servers and personal computing. This podcast, we dive into everything from, you know, the man behind the meme to, you know, how Christian got into the Bitcoin space and what Christian is doing in order to help people run and use computing services that do not rely on middlemen. He is trying to protocolize the internet with Urbit over at Tlon, and they are building around Bitcoin, which is really exciting. We talk about the ins and outs on what Urbit is, how people can interact with it, why people should use it, and why Bitcoin is the impetus of the personal computing revolution and the personal server revolution and how Urbit is leveraging Bitcoin in order to create infrastructure that is really easy and approachable for users and developers alike. This is a great episode, and both Christian as well as the Talon team are going to be at Bitcoin 2021. I need to tell you guys, you need to get your ticket to this conference absolutely right now. Do not wait. Get your tickets before prices go up. Get your tickets before we sell out. We sell anywhere from 50 to 100 tickets a day, and we have a hard cap on how many people we can fit into this building. Obviously, there is limited capacity because of coronavirus restrictions and stuff like that. So if you want to come to Bitcoin 2021, get your ticket today, go to b.tc backslash conference and get your ticket using promo code Satoshi. That promo code will save you 10% off. You can see Tony Hawk, you can see Nick Zabel, you can see Chamath, you can see Michael Saylor, Jack Dorsey, and a lot of other heavyweights in the Bitcoin space. Guys, this is going to be the conference of a decade. This is going to be the best Bitcoin and the biggest Bitcoin conference in history. So don't miss it. Promo code Satoshi, B.TC. All right, let's get into this podcast with the famous Bitcoin sign guy. Three, two, two one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep that in the recording. All right, guys, Bitcoiners, I'm sitting across in person for the first time in over a year for an in-flesh Bitcoin magazine podcast. I'm sitting across from another Christian, Christian Lane Gallus, the famed Bitcoin sign guy. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here, man. Thank you for having me. So Christian, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast are pretty well known with like your initial moment of fame. And, you know, let's just call it your, your cannonball into the Bitcoin community. <laughs> I wanted to start off the podcast, you know, just by kind of talking about that moment. It was in 2017, and the world has really changed a lot since then. But do you want to kind of just like give the audience a kind of quick play-by-play of uh, the famous Bitcoin sand guy moment? Oh, man. Well, I mean, it, it certainly was not intended to be famous. It was just sort of a, an image that I wanted to have. I was going to take the take the screenshot from the replay later. But, you know, it's completely unintended that it went 
viral with the Bitcoin community. I suppose I should have known. But anyway, yeah, it's been coming up on four years, I guess. And uh, well, the investment thesis has played out. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, the... You know, my dad doesn't have to uh, be embarrassed at cocktail parties now when he asks if his son is like still into Bitcoin. So it's good. You know, hey, parents are proud of Bitcoin <clears throat> these days. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. My parents sure are. Par- parents might even be getting into the Bitcoin industry these days. It's it's <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah, it really is. So I mean, again, just to kind of verbally kind of walk through the moment, what was happening in 2017 when you know you kind of saw your opportunity to uh to get on the camera well it was one of those uh, the the biannual uh humphrey hawkins testimony where the the fed has to answer questions from members of congress and yellen was being interviewed by i forget his name it was a uh, oh, i think senator bill posey about the transparency of the federal reserve so you know, I saw sort of a moment of irony <laughs> and uh, took it. But, you know, that's that's just the nature of these large bureaucratic systems that demand, you know, these large public spectacles because it's as much about the Fed as it is about the Congress members being able to get in their punch for their constituency. So, you know, it, the the theater of it is, you know, a an exploitable surface yeah absolutely and i mean talking about like the theater of official government stuff we've been kind of seeing a ton of that in the news recently around impeaching trump around the like procedures you know kind of with everything kind of presidential it it really does feel like there's this like theatrical component to to all of it Uh, i've been calling it clown world but you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, you can call it clown world, or I guess you could say that it's part of, and not to immediately relapse onto this, what's become sort of a crutch of a word, but, you know, simulated reality where reality is trafficked through these, you know, official events or official models. We're here in San Francisco, and my girlfriend, who's a teacher, you know they're saying oh well we're in the we're in the red tier so now we can start bringing some students back into the school building and so it's more about the how there are models sort of abstract models that completely striate and you know posture conversations about current events and then you know sometimes they have because they're sort of rigid in that in that way they're they're vulnerable to you know acts of arbitrary you know terror i guess or just like capricious behavior so i mean would you consider the bitcoin sign guy moment as like capricious behavior or an act of terror kind yeah, of yeah i mean that? not not to like not to say that it's too much not to not to ascribe more to it than what it was intended for but i guess you know if it is effectively that if the fed goes to the hearing expecting the headlines that come out of it to be about the monetary policy that they're setting forward and if suddenly the 
headlines are changed to, you know, some some Bitcoin radical, like, uh, you know, was in the room and, you know, he's able to shift the conversation to Bitcoin, then I think that that's a certain act of you know, disruption or, you know, it's it's throwing, it's not quite, you know, throwing a bomb into a, a cafe, but it's it's similarly disruptive to the official process and the official you know, manufacture of meaning through these, through these events and systems. I mean, okay, maybe it's not throwing a bomb into a cafe physically, but from like an intellectual discourse perspective, it probably had a, a pretty similar effect. Well, I, I guess I, I hope, <laughs> I, I hope, I mean, Bitcoin, I don't think that Bitcoin uh, is really, it's not anything that any individual at this point could meaningfully stop. So I guess the corollary to that is there's nothing that an individual could do to meaningfully further Bitcoin on their own. So I don't know, maybe that's a controversial statement to make, but I think that that's just the nature of singularity itself. You know, Bitcoin has gathered such an unconscious force of entrepreneurs and you know just people of all people of all walks who have entered into the the vassalage of bitcoin that you know i i think it's it's almost a completely undesignated force at this point so i don't want to spend too much time like reminiscing on past glory for sure say. yeah all the all the glory is ahead of us Absolutely. We, we shall not rest on our laurels. And even when, in even post-hyper-Bitcoinization, I think a lot of people think that that's uh, the dominant of, of Bitcoin, but it, it simply cannot be. That's only, that's only the, first, the first very simple step to, you know, that's the grading of the playing field. And then from there, that, if we actually believe in the civilizational effects of sound money, the work only begins there. You know, that's actually a, a very similar line of thinking to the CEO of Bitcoin Magazine, David Bailey. His famous quote is, hyper-Bitcoinization is when it starts. Mm -hmm. Precisely. Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with that. Hopefully we can hopefully we can get there. So you started off, you know, when I kind of talked about the BSG movement, as you're saying, you know, the Bitcoin thesis has really played out since then. I kind of want to talk about how the world has drastically changed since early 2017, you know, kind of during that moment and talk a little bit about like, you know, from an economic perspective and, you know, again, Yellen saying we shouldn't audit the Fed. Now she's the head of the Treasury. You know, what have we kind of seen since then and, and how would you characterize like the Bitcoin thesis playing out? Well, I guess over the last what Trump had only been president for four years. No, well, then one year. He was there for one year, so I mean, I, 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 I guess you could say not to not to necessarily analogize Trump to Bitcoin, but with the way the system sort of reacts, it can almost an immunological response to Donald Trump and you know threat to the model. You know, I think that I think that Donald Trump's experience. It's it sort of brings to the fore, you know, the whatever you want to call them. The uh, it, it reveals some of the structure of 
the way the the sausage is made. And so to the extent that Bitcoin is an explicit repudiation of that process, I think that the uh, you know the investment case has been has been made increasingly attractive yeah. in accordance with that. So let's talk about like some of the activity that's happening, right? So in the moment, Janet Yellen is saying we shouldn't audit the Fed. In that very same moment, you know, you were holding up a sign saying buy Bitcoin. And then since then, we've seen M1 money supply go parabolic. We've seen kind of permissions on the banking system really get weaponized severely. They had already been, but even more so. And, you know, now with COVID-19, we're even seeing, you know, even further kind of, let's just call it middlemanning being inserted into any sort of financial activity. And even seeing, you know, financial activity and individuals living here in the U.S. kind of being marginalized to a degree. So, I mean, kind of a roundabout question, but like, let's talk about like the the underneath kind of things that, you know, you're referencing to when you're saying that it's all coming together and that Bitcoin is shining a light into the inner workings of these systems. Well, I guess it's the the mediation of, of meaning itself. So, you know, relying on large institutions to tell you what, you know, Twitter, Twitter deleting shit, Google, you know, banning stuff from search results. It's sort of the, the digital book burning that goes on is, uh, you know, indicative that whatever Bitcoin is against, it, it, it exists because it closely manages the way, you know, the, the forums that you know, ideas are generated and that they evolve. So like, this is the academy. This is, you know, the media in Hollywood or the news media. This is, this is who uh, designs uh, software products that bring us information. And then, you know, obviously like the, whatever political narratives are, are being workshopped at the time. So fundamentally you know bitcoin as a database it bitcoin is a database right and that database serves information in a manner that's entirely impartial to you know it's outside of what you what you would call that establishment meaning making system so when you have that ability to to have another star of information on, you know, whatever, who owns a certain set of monetary assets, you can actually anchor a a great deal (laughs) to that. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I feel like, you know, you're kind of keeping it pretty high level here, but I do kind of want to transition into a little bit of what you are actually working on today. You know, Again, since you're kind of cannonball into the Bitcoin community, yeah. uh, you went from a fund and now you're working on technology over at Tlon. Right. Um, and yeah. a lot of that has to do with disintermediating kind of like these communication channels, these kind of the, these ways for centralized control. Yeah. So what Christian, other Christian, CK, older Christian is uh, alluding to is that, yeah, now I work at a company called Talon that is the lead developer of a new operating system called Urbit. 
And Urbit is, in its most abstract description, a a solid-state interpreter. (laughs) But to put a little more description on that, Urbit is a a peer-to-peer operating system and network. So what I mean by that is it is a computer, a virtual machine, that is designed to make it very easy to operate a personal server and this is this your server is networked on a on an internet of other urbit servers that are also running similar like or the same software it's open source it's designed to be you know a place where you can serve up your social media information your blogs your messages your photos, your files. Basically, we will be systematically repealing repealing Web 2.0 from our digital lives step by step. So we're starting with messages very concretely. Think of it like a, a decentralized Slack right now. So we're taking out, we're taking messages, blogging, link sharing collections right now in a short amount of time we will be releasing the bitcoin wallet so that there can be a monetization layer for all of those applications and then from there on you know sky is really the limit we'll have you know audio calling video calling document sharing we'll have a substack analog we'll have a patreon analog we'll have uh, whatever whatever service you think of you, you think of now, it can be replicated quite easily on Urbit. And you know, we have a standing invitation to all all developers or privacy minded individuals, people who would feel that their uh, computing experience is particularly maddening, to to come try Urbit and. Uh, give it a whirl and see if we, we think it's very fertile ground for the next sort of post post cloud megacorp internet. So kind of, I would say in 2017, if you talk to the average person about the use case and the need for, you know, kind of personal peer to peer computing, they would be like, why? Yep. Right. But yep. in 2020, in 2021, with the deplatforming that has kind of ensued the political situation in the United States, a lot more people are, are trying to understand why encryption, why self-hosting, why you should, you know, not be dependent on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, yeah. you know, et cetera. Sure. I guess in my mind, like obviously, you know, these kind of external factors are a big key to that. But I also personally think that Bitcoin is a key to that too, because Bitcoin makes it really important for you to run your own hardware, for you to like manage your own computing stack and to minimize trust. Right. Can you just kind of talk about like what is evolving here and, and why is it a fertile ground for Urbit? Right. So I think I'm basically preaching to the choir to tell the Bitcoin magazine listeners that you know it if you're not if you don't have equity in the in the server that is holding your data, you know, it can be whatever is stored on there can be abused. So if that's a, uh, 
if that's a, a bank ledger that says you you know you have xyz amount of uh, of credit at a bank then that's that's obvious in the in the monetary in the monetary uh, example urbit basically is to make a crude analogy urbit is to other fo- non-monetary forms of digital content as bitcoin is to money so we we invite you to basically run a computer that is extremely low cost, low maintenance, that radically minimizes the the technical the technical requirements on a user to to operate, where you can basically hold your your digital life, whatever it is, your messages, your your data. We'll call it just that as sort of short of shorthand for everything that is saved about you on every web two service that you use. Every time you log in, every time you access some data that is ascribed to you as a row in a database, we invite you to get an Urbit and repatriate that data. Close your account, delete your account, store that on a computer that's a server, that can give that information out using protocols instead of you know whatever the business logic is of of that company. So you know this means basically new protocols for you know messaging, new new protocols to to transact with. So we're actually not trying to you know build a new money. So we're importing Bitcoin into the system as the as the money layer. But for everything else, you know, we want to build and I'll do the Silicon Valley thing and just use the shorthand word of like protocolize the ways that we communicate online. Unfortunately, you, you might say if you're, you know, a developer, you'd say, well, what's wrong with all of the current Internet protocols? You know, there's there's dozens of them. And why can't we use those? And the answer is really, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Okay, so you can identify those things. Do you run your own email server? Do you? No, you don't. Okay, and if if you don't, why don't you? I use the evil empires. You use what? I use the evil empires. Evil evil, yeah, yeah. Well, why why do you use Gmail? Why why don't you why don't you go run your own email server? Don't know how and the network effects around Gmail, ease of use. Yeah, so the network effect definitely, but also just it's extremely difficult to run to run all these different personal servers. They have to be updated, they have to be you you basically have to have the have the knowledge of a system admin to run an email server, to run, you know, whatever it is, an IRC client. It, I mean Obviously, if you if you run those services and you're thinking to yourself, oh, but no, it's actually not that hard. Ask yourself, why why don't all your friends use IRC? Why <laughs> it's like it's just too blanking hard to uh, to do all these things and to have you know a uh, a conglomeration of a lot of different pieces of software that are all on you know different development timelines and that all 
you know, are rather hard, hard to manage. So what Urbit did is it took a look at what we use the personal computer for today. And it basically said, all right, there's 35 years of internet protocols out there that are, it's a total patchwork of protocols. We are going to synthesize all this down to a very simple system, 50,000 lines of code. And it's going to basically work at first as an overlay operating system. So it can run on any Unix machine with an internet connection. And then in the future, because Urbit's architecture is that it's functionally programmed, we'll eventually be able to etch the specification for this computer on a silicon wafer and you can run Urbit on bare metal. And at that point we'll have, you know, not to prophesize because prophesizing gets you in trouble, but you know, we'll have Urbit computers and that will, that will just be the way you won't have to be like the crazy person that runs tails in order to, you know, get some modicum of privacy. It's like, it will just be default. Everyone will do it. And, you know, we'll, as I, as I said, like with regard to hyper Bitcoinization, you know, after hyper urbanization, then, you know, we can finally, now that we're no longer being, uh, you know, controlled, striated, incentivized by all the different systems we use, we will just have computers again, be flat, basic tools. You know, computers were once described as the bicycle for your mind. And now, you know, they're really more like casino jails. So we'd like, we'd like to return computers to being flat, boring tools that exist purely in the service of the user. I mean, while flat boring tools doesn't sound super exciting to a lot of the folks in Silicon Valley, I think me and you as people who live here, work here, you know, we've, we've had the experience to see like how broken the incentives well, are. Here. Well, and, and of, to your earlier point, of course, this is boring to Silicon Valley. Why? Because you can't monetize it. Sorry. You know, Urbit has, no very promising vector for advertising, no promising vector for data extraction, no promising vector for, you know, spam. So it's really, if you're making your, if you're making your buck on the old, like free product, but we spy on you and we sell your data to advertisers to target AI ads on you. You know, that it's not going to work. Find, find a new business model. And unfortunately, you know, for most people, this is just going to mean that software is actually, there are more people working in software than, than need to work in software. It's just the case that, you know, there's probably a lot of just redundant work that's being done right now that if you actually replaced, if you replaced every single selling platform on online with one, you know, selling protocol, you know, you would put a lot of engineers at Amazon, Etsy, you know, Shopify, WooCommerce, all of those, all of those sites, you know, they'd go, they'd go out of work. And, you know, then that's, that's an okay thing. 
Like this is Silicon Valley has been, you know, telling truck drivers to learn to code for a while. So now we finally get to tell the Silicon Valley, you know, coders, oh, well, um, you know, learn to <laughs> learn to blank, learn to learn to drive a truck. <laughs> okay. So learn to make wooden furniture. <laughs> so I, I just want to, I want to dig into this a little bit because I think there's a lot of symmetries with like kind of what you're describing with, let's just call it an urban powered personal computing revolution to maybe some of the second and third order effects that come from adopting Bitcoin as well. Yes. Like, a lot of the issues maybe that we're seeing around Web 2.0 is the fact that the web never had mo- money on it. That there's always, there's, there, there had to be abstractions and permission around transferring value. And that has effectively, you know, created one, misallocation of capital. But two, it created internet-based businesses with kind of weird and broken incentive models. Yeah, I mean, the, that was, I guess, what part of... Part of that was what originally sort of spurred on the, the cypherpunks, which is, oh, you look at the set of internet protocols and, yeah, there's no MOIP, money over IP. So what what does that look like? Well, now we know, obviously, it's it's Bitcoin. We've, we've filled in that gap. But now, taking taking Bitcoin, we look at the rest of the stack and we think, wow, this isn't actually tenable for the average person to run a server far too complicated. So let's let's boil it down. Let's let's design a system from the ground up to for the specific purpose of making it easy for an individual to run their own personal server. That's that's the goal. So so what do you think like what do you think needs to happen in the masses minds to want to do this though? Well I, I think it's Bitcoin. It's I mean, Bitcoin helps, but it's it's the minority rule dynamic, just like how you know the minority rule. Like, why is the intent, the well, intransigent minority? Um, so, so why the tolerant minority? Exactly. So, why is uh, why is all lemonade kosher? Is everything packaged kosher? Exactly. It's like if if Jews are only what is it three percent of the population? Why is everything kosher? Well, because. They don't buy things that aren't kosher, but Gentiles don't mind drinking kosher things or eating kosher things. So if that effect is playing out right now with with Bitcoin, where some people demand Bitcoin, they they demand sound money, you know, eventually the the bankers who or the whatever the mainstream is, the economic mainstream is ambivalent, like, oh, whatever, fiat, currency versus Bitcoin, I I don't have a strong preference. You know, they'll end up they'll end up adopting Bitcoin that way anyhow. So similar with the people who feel very strongly that I don't want my data on Google's server. I don't like it when Amazon Alexa listens to me. I don't like all this creepy stuff. I'm going to I'm going to hold my own data. You know, eventually that group of people will will you know create their own minority rule effect. Where if you want to communicate with the most sort of privacy minded people, which I, I should I guess say are usually like the people that are doing the most are just sort of entrepreneurially minded. 
if you want to interact with that crowd, you need to you need to get on this network. You need to you need to acquire Urbit. Or or I mean this is all purporting that Urbit is like the thing. I if there is another thing, I, I haven't seen it. But So that this actually kinda of leads to my follow up question, which is I personally think like I've only used Urbit briefly. You're a lot more intimately acquainted with it. I've been really impressed with what I've been seeing so far. You know, and I, I typically align with the thesis. Like my my thesis is that Bitcoin is the impetus for the personal computing revolution. Everyone's going to run their own server, and that is how we create decentralization. You don't need DApps. You don't need Ethereum. You don't need this stuff. Like people running their own hardware. That's the revolution. Well, and we're wait. Let me finish. Yeah, sure. We're seeing this like with Bitcoin nodes and Bitcoin hardware wallets and things associated specifically with Bitcoin. And I see that as like fractaling into you know people running other services, right? And I'm I'm just kind of curious, like what's going to cause the network effects to come to new protocols versus people figuring out how to use what's already there and making it easier for individuals. It, the fact that it's it's just not there. Currently, it's like we've had we've had decades to figure out how to make the internet useful. But we haven't had Bitcoin. I mean, yeah, we've had it for twelve years. Sure, and you know, even even then, you know, a a pitifully small number of Bitcoin users actually run full nodes. So the the pain of operating a personal server is not lost on us. You know, the you know a Bitcoin node is a server, a personal server for the Bitcoin blockchain is your personal copy of the Bitcoin blockchain that you serve to other nodes on the network. So yeah, certainly it's a, it's a, it's an issue of how do you, how do you bootstrap these networks? But obviously they, they come along because the incentives are overwhelming. Like, what are you going to do? Stay on Twitter for the rest of your life? Um, I mean, it's not sustainable just because Twitter is going to continue to marginalize people and eventually there's going to be a, a, a marginalized group of people that has enough of, a, of an audience that it bootstraps another platform. Yeah. So, I mean, on that, I'll say, you know, Urbit is very different. It, we're not even trying to um, be like the alt platform because there are, there are companies that are trying to do that. I'm sure your listeners know them. And without without you know, poo pooing them, it's going to be very hard to replace a centralized service like Twitter with another like alt centralized service. So you know, Gab or Parler or something like that. It's just uh, you can't compete sort of head to head. You have to. You have to take it one level down the stack and get perhaps to the to the root issue of well, why is it the case that a Twitter even exists? Why do we why do we rely on companies like Google, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon to literally just pave a parking lot on top of internet protocols? Why do we have to you know fool around on Gmail like it's a sandbox you know it's it's a completely it's like a simulated network so when you're on facebook they say oh facebook is a social network no it's not it's a 
It's a social database with a bunch of people on it. The, the network part is entirely uh, a fabrication. It's, it's not a network at all. It's one node. Yeah, it's a fabrication of human networks, like flesh networks, and then it like it synthesizes that data and connections into one, you know, let's just call it cluster of servers that Facebook controls. Yeah. So that's what we want to return to a true peer-to-peer internet, which, you know, was, was very much the vision of the internet when it was first, well, not first, first created, because that was like the military. But when we had, you know, the the... The first days of the, you know, the personal computer, the internet was in fact quite peer to peer, and then as it got monetized, like by companies like AOL, etc., you know, you see, you see people slowly trading, the, trading their sort of mastery and authorship over their internet experience for just the ease of use. Oh yeah, sure. I'll just sign up for the thing. It's like you hardly even bat an eye any longer when you sign up for a new online service. It's just like, oh yeah, sure. Add one more. And people are sort of uh, just ambivalent about it, but you know, I don't think you need you know so many developers trying to architect you know the ideal the ideal way for us to interact online like you want those systems to be flat it's too important really human communication is too important to leave to some you know group of engineers that truly engineer behaviors try to try to architect try to architect your experience in a way that ultimately is to fit the profit motive yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but my very first kind of company I worked at after uh, after college was a mobile A/B testing company, and the whole point was, hey, we, you know, we're reaching out to engineers and be like, get your users to stay on your app longer, get your users to increase their engagement, make sure that you know daily active users and um, you know minutes screen time on app and all of those things are increasing. You know, and we have this technology that's going to let you, you know, A-B test the color of their buttons and A-B test all these features and all this stuff. So that way you can make sure your users are engaged and you can continue to extract as much value from your users as possible. Literally, it's it's a truly perverse. And uh, I would say, I, of course, I don't hold it against you. <laughs> I hold it against me. Uh, yeah, well, my first two companies before Bitcoin were both like... Yeah, manipulate and use data. Sure. I mean, look, it it was people in that in that paradigm which, you know, we're still in for the most part. There's there's little imagination for, you know, what a different system could look like. And even if there is the idea you know, just going about the technical specification for what a solution would look like is just, it sort of staggers the mind. So Urbit has actually been in the works for quite a long time because our founder sort of was able to perceive this problem a long time ago. 
and has been, he basically worked silently on Urbit for close to a decade before coming out with Knock, which is the actual mathematical specification for the Urbit computer, which allows it to ultimately be you know, very simple. Just, just to, to gloss over it entirely, if you'd like to learn more about the actual blood and guts of Urbit, I would suggest going to urbit.org, and there's uh, full information on it there. But, a lot of good uh, interviews that Christian has done with other Bitcoin podcasts as well. I really like the uh, Castle Island Ventures one in particular. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that that's another that's another good Urbit sort of explainer. Also, plug POV Crypto. That was another uh, <laughs> solid one. We don't talk, don't get too into depth on on Urbit, but more philosophy. But sure, yeah, just keep plugging the pods here. Keep plugging the pods. I mean, shout out to our shout out to my man uh, Marty Bent who will be uh, moderating a panel when we release our Bitcoin wallet next month. All right. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, the I guess that's where we're going. We're slowly integrating Bitcoin into Urbit. We're putting first just a basic Bitcoin wallet. Then we're going to put on Lightning. Then, you know, build out, you know, sort of similar features to BTC Pay Server, like, you know, basic storefront stuff by that point you'll be able to serve a website from your urbit so you could make it you know an online store for people on the old web you know it's you can see how the how the primitives compound very fast with these things so yeah please if you're at all interested hit me up and we can get you get you set up on a brand new urbit (laughs) Christian hooks it up for your boy, so yeah. you know you, you can find me on the Urbits. Yeah, there's a. I stick by Urbit as you know. I think it's a good. I think it's a good system, and I I've certainly enjoyed you know getting to use it, and our company basically uses it nearly exclusively for our internal communications. But I don't expect anyone to take my word for it. It's it's open source. Go try it out. It works. <laughs> Urbit works. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, sometimes P2P isn't pretty, but it works, right? And yeah. that's kind of like the key. So I kind of want to end the podcast with like, you know, what's your vision of human life in a world where, you know, maybe we're not no longer con- kind of controlled by our tech overlords, right? Like really the whole point of Urbit, the whole point of Bitcoin is to give yeah, yeah. the power of living in, you know, cyberspace back to the individual. Right. Well, I would push back that you even want to live in cyberspace. I mean, I still have the uh, ambition to live in the the physical world. Meat space. So, um, so yeah, all of my all of my utopias are, you know, I, you know, I joke about like utopianism because that's usually where people go wrong. But you know, everyone likes to have their pet utopias. So that for me, that's uh, you know cathedrals on every uh, horizontal surface in the solar system and maybe like the bison sphere shout out to bitstein and <laughs> for that one so yeah i i think that you know our our diversion into into sort of cyberspace over the last two to three decades has really been you know, it's sort of like when the Gilded Age happened and for a while there was 
insane amounts of pollution, but it coincided with moments of immense like industrial growth and, uh, you know, like markets did quite well, et cetera. And there was, there was positive, there were positive effects for, you know, the physical welfare of uh, humanity. And so I think that the internet thus far has been very good for, you know, the informational welfare of humanity, but, uh, you know, there, there always needs to be, you know, refinement and I guess, you know, a reification of whatever the, whatever the original uh, you know, principles of the internet were, you know, enabling human connection ultimately. So that's really what I would like, you know, Urbit to enable. And then, you know, we can all go outside. Yeah. Make the internet simple and stupid and, and yeah. make it so we can get out of our cubes and go outside. Yeah, exactly. Do not uh, do not eat the bugs. Depart the pod immediately. <laughs> go go live in a tent and, you know, use Urbit on an e-ink screen, on, like running on a solar-powered tablet or something. This is this is what I believe. <laughs> yeah, this this is the way. All right, yeah. well, that you, you definitely ended it with a vision that I think most people can at least grasp in their head. Christian, want to give you last word? What you know, you kind of gave the 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 call to action to the audience, but you know, why don't you close it out and uh, tell people where they can learn more as well? Uh, yeah, so urbit.org is the main spot. That's U R B I T. I'll give Christian a link where you can get on Tlon Hosting. So. Some people, some people use Bitcoin via Coinbase, right? So that's like the centralized vector to scale Bitcoin. So, of course, you know, Urbit has its own centralized scaling vector, which is if you don't want to run your Urbit computer yourself, but you can do it on any, you know, laptop or Raspberry Pi. We'll, we'll see sort of the Urbit in a box, node in a box, form factor, popularize more over time. But uh, if you want to just get on Urbit without having to deal with any of that, Tlon will run an Urbit node for you. It will still have pretty good privacy guarantees and you'll retain the private keys to your Urbit. But you know that's, that's also available. So you can try that and I'll give you a, a link for signing up for that. I'm on Twitter under a few names so you can you can search those down they're not too hard to find just search christian langellis you'll probably find something and uh yeah our bitcoin wallet is coming out the demo is on april 27th so uh, you can find that on the meetup page for Urbit. and then we'll also i'll also be in Miami. Let's go. Uh, it's about to like throw down. Dude. <laughs> so 200k party, baby. Yeah, that, seriously. Uh, so I'm I'm very pleased to be back in the in the physical presence of Bitcoiners. Yeah, um, man. Like I said, this was the first uh, in flesh interview I've done in yeah, over a year. We will so. we'll continue our our jolly mission. Let's go. Well, hey, Miami is going to be absolutely incredible. Christian is going to be on stage giving a demonstration of Urbit and the Bitcoin functionality in particular. So if you haven't gotten your ticket yet, promo code Satoshi, let's get your ass to Miami. We're going to sell out. It's going to be incredible. Let's do it. (laughs) 
Christian, thanks for having me on. You got it, man. Peace. Ciao, ciao. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.